0: Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's Hebrews chapter 10, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Christmeyer, General Editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, talking with other women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. Today, I'm talking with Elizabeth Tomlin. Elizabeth is the general counsel for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, and she's also a founding member and past president of the Military Council of Catholic Women worldwide. She is married with three children, and she's also the author of my favorite book, I think, on women's ministry. It's called Joyful Momentum. And she also is a contributor to the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. Elizabeth, welcome.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's always good to be with you.
0: Yeah, You know, when I call Joyful Momentum, your book, my favorite, I really don't say that lightly. I think it's the absolutely the best book that I've ever seen on growing and sustaining vibrant women's groups, which is what your subtitle is. And the reason it's my favorite, I think, is that it goes way beyond the practical details of how to set up a group. You approach women's ministry as what you call in that book a vocation within a vocation or a call within a call. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by that?
1: Sure. So with within our Christian life, we have a vocation, which is how we live out our love of God and our love of neighbor. And that comes to us through our baptism, right? We are marked with this indelible mark through our baptism and incorporated into the Christian life among other things. But then we as women are so multifaceted. We are moms, we drive the mom taxi, we are in religious life, we might be single, we may be single moms, but we always have within us this inherent desire to connect in friendship with other women. And I think so the way we serve the church, the way we live out our vocation, is in our in our families, in our personal lives, but then the way we serve the church and one another in women's ministry is also how we express love of God and neighbor. And in that way, I think it's a vocation. So St. Teresa of Calcutta talked about being a sister of Loretto and then receiving this call from Jesus to serve the poorest of the poor. And her religious superiors said to her, you know, are you leaving your vocation? What does this mean? And she said, no, I'm not leaving my vocation. I have a vocation within a vocation, a call within a call to serve the poor. And I think when we discern a desire to connect in women's ministry, we're not discerning, we're not considering adding one more thing to our busy plates as women. What we have to do when we get involved in a women's ministry is discern how or whether God is calling us to serve our sisters in Christ in a women's group. So it's not just an activity, it's a vocation. I think that's what I liked. The fact
0: that you made it part of life and who we are as women. And perhaps this is an extension of that. And at the heart, your book is about feminine friendship. It's about accompaniment, mentorship, sisterhood, motherhood, you know, really building one another up in the faith, stirring one another up to good works, as I read from Hebrews a minute ago. And the other thing that I really loved is that you, your book is steeped with scripture and you really incorporate really meaningful reflection on scripture as a way to help women internalize the things that you say. So, you know, to help you build Christian friendships or discern God's call. It's really beautifully done. Thank you for that, that gift of that book.
1: Thank, thank you for saying that, Sarah. That's so kind. It was important to me when I wrote the book to incorporate scripture. The last thing I wanted to to tell women to do was, you know, first reserve a room. Second, meet in the room. What I wanted to do was was invite women to encounter to gather with one another and encounter places in scripture where women's ministry either existed, could exist or where Jesus had profound interactions with women that transformed them. So the woman at the well, for example, was a story that was important for me to incorporate. And the wedding at Cana, where where Mary tells the people gathered, do whatever he tells you, you know, her last spoken words that we have. And I thought that if if I wrote a study about how to build a women's ministry as a women's ministry, then people, then women would be experiencing a small group while learning how to make a small group. So it was experiential, but it also put Jesus at the center of what I wanted to do. I didn't I didn't want to write somebody a how to guidebook. I wanted to invite them to experience Jesus in community. So mm-hmm. I hope if it accomplished that, it accomplished what I felt called to do.
0: Well have you been putting this into practice with the Military Council for Catholic women?
1: Yes. So Within the Military Council of Catholic Women, so within the military archdiocese, we have 220 military installations and 153 VA medical centers, and women move to a new military installation. The questions we have are, where do I go to church? How do I get my kids into the sacraments? Where do my kids go to school? And we have this immediate need to connect. And to be able to do that as a small group was always really important. And so anytime I gave a talk or a retreat, particularly for a military community, the question would be, Elizabeth, what you're telling us, what you're teaching us is so wonderful, but how do we keep doing these sorts of retreats or gatherings or studies? And so I wrote the, the book to answer that question, those sorts of questions that I was receiving, particularly within the military archdiocese. But I wrote the book in such a way that anybody in any parish, in any diocese, but answer the question of, I really want to connect with other women in my faith. What's a way I can do that? And this is a very direct Bible study to be able to to do that and learn some tips and tools along the way.
0: Wonderful. I know until I actually, I guess I was asked to speak for the, the military council, even long before I met you quite a few years ago. And I had never stopped to think about what that would mean to be moving every year or two. And having to find new community and just the way you're uprooted. So I bet this is a, a wonderful thing for that that group of women.
1: Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, mm-hmm. One of the women that I wrote about in the Living Bible was Miriam. And in a way, I, I joke that she should be the patroness for military spouses um, <laughs> because of the way she packs up and moves with joyful anticipation, with faith, and and she's a problem solver in in how she protected her brother and worked her mother into caring for her. Yeah, back,
0: back up a little bit. I love that yeah. Miriam, not everybody may know who Miriam is. So tell us a little bit about her story and why you loved her so much.
1: Gosh, I love so many things about Miriam. But she was the sister of Moses, who listeners may be familiar with the edict from Pharaoh to kill the firstborn boys of the Israelites and and she said, you know, no, I'm not having any of that. So she encouraged her mom to put Moses in the basket and and send him into the Nile where he was found by by the Egyptians and, and raised within the, the royal household, I suppose. But she followed Moses, I guess, throughout his life and upbringing in Egypt. And when finally Moses led the people out of Egypt, she went with him. And we know just famously that the Egyptian or the Israelites didn't have time to bake bread as they were escaping. And so we have the unleavened Passover bread that we're familiar with because the Israelites didn't have time for leavening of the bread. But yet so in that rush, you know, I would have been just throwing nonsense into a bag to run out the door. But Miriam and the women with her packed their tambourines, their timbrels. And so, when they crossed the Red Sea, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Moses miraculously was able to part the Red Sea. and then, as the Pharaoh and his or as Pharaoh's men were crossing the Red Sea after him, we know that the Red Sea collapsed in on them, and Israel was victorious. and Miriam and and Moses, now realizing that they're safe on the other side, Miriam pulls out her timbrel and she starts to sing, and she sings her song is "Sing to the Lord." he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And what I love about her is she had faith and hope that good things were to come. She might have been scared. We don't know that detail. But she had the faith and hope to pack the tambourine, knowing that she was going to praise God on the other side. And I think that's such a model for anybody facing any sort of transition. You know, I'm, I'm sending my kids off to college. And when you send your kid out the door, like there's this desire to smother mother and to hold on to them (laughs) and to control the situation. But I don't think she would have. I think that she would have sent those children out and had her tambourine in hand ready to praise whatever came. So for that reason, you know, when we military women move across the country and across the globe, there's a lot of trepidation and uncertainty in a way. But I like to think of Miriam and her tambourine. I don't dare play a tambourine. But I like the idea of carrying one with me, and in hope that that God is good and that his his promises are true,
0: well, also related to you know what you're doing with your women's groups, clearly Miriam, well, probably essay, and it is the Jewish tradition that she taught the women how to sing and dance those songs of praise and if you think of wartime, you know you're the women that you work with are probably more cognizant of that than most women are. But the last thing on your mind is probably praising and singing and dancing. But that is such an important thing to be praising God and thanking him in all circumstances. And so even as slaves, they were thanking the Lord and learning to play their tambourines and taking them with them and ready ready to sing and praise, not only when they won, but I imagine other times also. So mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful example in Miriam. Before we talk about some of the other women that you wrote about, which I'm hoping that we have time to do today, but how did you first start reading the Bible? You know, Did you yes. just start reading as an adult or did you grow up reading?
1: So I received my first Bible around the time I received my first Holy Communion. And it was it was given to me by a military chaplain named Father John O'Brien. It was a good news Bible. And I had that Mm -hmm. Bible for forever. And I would about every six months or so decide I was going to read the Bible. And where did I start? Well, Genesis 1-1. And so I think I read the book of Genesis probably 10 times as a kid (laughs) and never got got (laughs) beyond it. But I, I've never forgotten Father O'Brien, and I actually found a Bible at my at the office at the Military Archdiocese Pastoral Center the other day, because I, I needed a Bible, and I went downstairs to our little library and grabbed one, and I opened up the front cover, and it belonged to Father John O'Brien. So it's funny how God meets you in Scripture and reminds you, but I think it was in college where a, a woman invited me to a Bible study on the Psalms, and we sat in the dorm kitchen floor. With our Bibles opened and started reading the Psalms. I couldn't tell you what we what we read, what we didn't read, but I made such good friends in that study. And my Mm -hmm. friend Melissa is the one who invited me. And 25, 26 years later, you know, she's married with six kids and married with three kids. And she is my best friend to this, to this day. One of her daughters is named Miriam. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: and so I would say it was in that community that I really encountered God in the Word of Scripture, and have continued a habit of daily reading. And what I find is the more I the more I read Scripture. So I'm doing a a Bible in a Year plan right now. But what I find is the more I read Scripture, the more I connect the words of the Old Testament to the words of the New Testament, and the more I see what is written in Scripture but then also sense what might not have been written and what what that means yeah. so for example yesterday was palm sunday and what struck me was we keep hearing the disciples fell asleep the disciples fell asleep but yet Jesus prayed this and so i found myself wondering well who who heard it and who saw it because somebody did and what what just kind of spoke to my heart was that his mother must have been nearby because a mother wouldn't abandon her child in that Scenario And and so I like to think that his mother heard those prayers and heard those words, but it wasn't a detail I paid attention to before. And so as we're standing in church, listening to this gospel, you know, you can almost just mount, just kind of follow along from memory, having heard the, you know, Palm Sunday so many times. But that detail yesterday of, well, who heard these things if the disciples were asleep, stuck out, and it became a point of contemplation for me. How how do I walk with God and not fall asleep? Where have I fallen asleep when God has asked me to stay close? And those are connections and prayers that come any at any point reading scripture from your very first encounter with scripture to I mean we've read the gospel of the passion over and over and over again but there's always something new, something always being renewed in us through scripture. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I continue to to dive in and to learn about it, whether I'm studying it from an academic perspective or praying with it just in my most contemplative ways.
0: So I guess you were the right person then. We asked you to write about Priscilla in the New Testament. And. Yeah. I think there are six verses that mention Priscilla but she never says anything and we gave you the task of writing a little essay about her <laughs> which you clearly rose rose to do well talk about Priscilla a little bit
1: Sure so Priscilla is is one of those women in the gospel who we don't hear a lot about so so some women like Sarah we we know a lot of we hear her voice her words are recorded her laughter is recorded for us but with Priscilla what we know is she's usually mentioned with her husband Aquila and with Paul and so so we know more about her in a way from what we don't know but we what we know about her is that she helped Paul she assisted Paul in preaching the gospel in the very early church in a time when it was dangerous in a time when women, the testimony of women was not something that the world valued as valid. And and that was the culture's problem, not Priscilla's problem. But what we see in Priscilla is just a beautiful way to love in community. And we see it in the way she follows Paul and her husband, that she invites him. We believe that she probably financially supported him. And it's a beautiful model to us that sometimes... Our words and our actions are seen and recorded and praised, but sometimes we make the most influence by just steadily continuing in what I would say is Priscilla's vocation. Priscilla's vocation was to her marriage and in serving the early church, and she did it in a way that was steadfast and constant and generous, and we don't hear her particular words. We don't hear her professing an affirmative creed, but what she does in supporting Paul is allows Paul to completely live out the call that he's been given to be this herald of the gospel, really to the ends of the mm-hmm. earth. And and I think it's a good reminder to us that serving the church wholly and fully with your entire self looks different for every single person, and it's something to value and celebrate. So I appreciate her for that. I really like to fly under the radar in a lot of ways and I think if you're just <laughs> reading the book of Acts quickly you might not notice her and I appreciate that I appreciate being able to be steadfast and constant and to serve without being the center of attention.
0: Maybe that's why Paul mentioned her not well he didn't write Acts obviously but he mentions her <laughs> in what Romans 1 Corinthians Romans. Yeah. Another place also, Tim, Timothy, or I can't remember where all she is, but.
1: Uh, yeah. um, First Corinthians and Second Timothy. four Second 19. Timothy, that was it. Yeah. Priscilla.
0: So, you know, when you go about thinking of what to write about somebody like that, what's your process? Because there isn't very much written about her.
1: So whenever, whenever I'm writing something about scripture and I, I write for Catholic mom, I do daily gospel reflections for Catholic mom. And I write on my blog from time to time. But whenever, whenever I'm preparing a talk or writing about scripture, the first thing I do is I just pray and I I say, Lord, let me see what you want me to see in this. Help me to see you today. And God gives me something different every time I read scripture. Every time I read the same verse of scripture, there's something different there. So I always start with just, "Lord, this is this is your word. I just want to encounter you in your word." And I think that's an important place for anybody reading scripture. It's not a book. Like if I if I were to read I don't know, The Great Gatsby, right? Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book to learn a story, to interpret the story, and I'm reading the book for a specific purpose, right? In Scripture, I'm reading it for God to speak to me. I'm reading it to spend time with God. And so that's the first way I start to write or read any any part of Scripture. A second thing I try to do is understand who the audience is, that whoever the, the author of the book is, whether it's Paul or, or the apostles or Abraham, whoever we believe might have been writing it, John, why why they were writing it, to whom they were writing it, and what, what might that have meant to that community? And then what aspects of my community today resemble resemble that community? In what ways is my community today different? Um, and I, I didn't write about about her, but I think a woman, the woman at the well in John's gospel is one of those stories when we think of Jesus meeting the woman at the well in the heat of the day, and she was a Samaritan. We know that, you know, you can gather a couple of things. Like she was she was outcast it was different that he would have been talking to her but when i think of her as a woman in an outcast running to the community and saying this person has told me everything everything and there was something in her that they didn't these people didn't want to believe her they didn't know her or they they might have known her but they weren't going to spend time at the well with her But yet there was something so convicting about her that they went, it's in the scripture tells us like they went because of her, but then they came to believe for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I always wonder, like, who did she go to? I try to ask like the next question. Did she go to the to the men who were her five husbands and who had Mm -hmm. shunned her? Did she go to those people and tell them about Jesus? That would be a really hard charge. And so then I think, well, how does this relate to me? Who are the people who have shunned me? Am I willing to tell them what I believe? Am I willing to extend to them the mercy that Jesus has extended to me? And that's a very different reading than doing a scripture, like than memorizing scripture or, or mm-hmm. any other text or reading something for content to take a test on. It's reading, reading to be transformed. It's reading to be challenged. It's reading to hope that our God who gave everything for us really wants us to express our love to him today and that he encounters us in his, in his word. So I don't know how I go
0: about That's it. a beautiful reflection on the woman at the well. And I honestly had never thought of that, that she might have gone and talked to those other husbands. Although I'm sure a lot of people had shunned her in that community. So that, that bears a lot of thinking about. I think I will take that to prayer myself. It's really beautiful. So you, you wrote about somebody else that I would love you to talk about. And this is Dinah. Some people pronounce it Dina. She's the daughter of Jacob in the Old Testament. So if you read Genesis 10 times, you read about her a lot, but <laughs> may not have... Yeah. Remembered that story. It's a horrible story, actually. She's raped. And then not only that, but her brothers take vengeance on the entire town in retaliation. It's a tragic, horrible story. And it's really hard to believe that this is part of the word of God and that these are God's people who he's raising up. Why do you think it's important to call attention to stories like this? And maybe first, what did you find in that story to write about when you wrote about Dina in Living the Word, Catholic Women's Bible?
1: So so this was a story that I really had to sit with before I could write about her, because it is a terrible story, like you said. I mean, and I, I think sometimes when bad things happen into the, in the Bible or, or within the church, We want to say someone was harmed or something bad happened. And I think it's important that we name what happened to her. Dinah Dinah was raped, just raped. And it's horrible. But yet, and then we have to ask the question, why was this included in the scripture? Where is we believe in a God that will unite everything to himself? We believe in a God that wants only the best for us. And yet we see things like this that happen. And I think in some circles, there's there's a temptation to go, well, God has a plan. That is such a dissatisfying thing for someone who has been harmed to hear, mm-hmm. because this was not God's plan. And I think anybody who has experienced sexual violence has to hear, and we have a duty to tell them that what happened to you is not God's plan. And so what what do we say? What hope do we speak to someone who has been victimized like this? And I, I think there are a couple of things that one, you were created by a God who sees you and loves you and wants to know you and wants to heal you. And that is truth. But yet, and in that, and in this story with Dinah, what we have is people who recognize that what happened to Dino was wrong her brothers recognize that what happened to her was wrong and yet at some level the men in her family still want to marry her off to this person i mean that's horrible and it just tells you that sometimes we want to do right and we don't know how to do right and we really need to to pull back and her brothers really fall into this into this vengeance of you know, they decide that Dinah will marry this man, but that first he and his father and all of their kingdom or all of their community, all the men must be circumcised. And the brothers really hoodwinked this man because the men were all circumcised. And then while they were still recovering from their circumcision, Dinah's brothers and their men go in and just massacre everybody. And so what we're left with is not any sort of justice. What we're left with is more women whose husbands have been killed, we're left with more widows, we're left with more orphans, we're left with more victims. And and I think it's important in this story that when we encounter someone who's been a victim of sexual violence, like Dinah has, to listen and to to find out what that person might need to be healed. What they might need is just for someone to acknowledge that they were harmed. They might not need the justice that was meted out, but for Dinah, we don't know what she needed because again, she's one of these stories where we know what we know, but then what we don't know is even is just as important. We don't know what she needed to be to be healed, if she needed to feel avenged, because we don't hear her voice um and I think it's important that we that we listen to the voices of people who have been harmed, that we listen for the voices of people who have been harmed and and with Dinah and with any victim. We have to remember that, that God's mercy is greater than any form of human justice that can be meted out. And it's important that we don't gloss over the hard parts of our faith because it's it's easy to be faithful. It's easy to believe in the goodness of God when times are easy, but it's it's harder to believe in the goodness of God when you see something like this happening within to Jacob's daughter Israel. I mean, we know Jacob is Israel. So this happened, you know, incredibly within God's the community of God's chosen people by someone outside. And so then, I think we have to look at Dinah and wonder how then do we? If if this is happening in our day, how does the the church look at someone who's been so wronged and walk alongside them and and remind them that you are you are loved, you are valuable, you are seen, you are heard you are not the bad things that have happened to you but continue to inspire hope and that's a hard that's a hard charge but we know that god and we're we're recording this during holy week we know that god himself endures the biggest brutality in order to bring us back to himself so there is nothing that has happened in anybody's life whether it's through their own fault or not their own fault that can separate us and there's a there's actually a verse in the new testament that i think gives me a lot of of hope when things are crazy, how do you make goodness? How do you take a story like Dinah and make goodness? Honestly, when our editor Heidi Saxton, for this said, "Will you write about Dinah?" I was like, "Could oh, you just <laughs> given me like Sarah or you know Mary or I?" Great, Mary had, but Mary endured. I mean, we talk about Mary as as meek in her in her beautiful. Praises, but I mean, she endured the death of her son. So she, I mean, so she endured things just as hard as Dinah. But there's a verse in the New Testament. There are probably many, but the one that comes to mind that really gives me hope is about nothing being able to separate us from the love of Mm -hmm. God. No, neither, and it's it's Romans eight thirty eight, and I'm reading from the NRSV on this one, but it says, "For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ our lord and for that you know even in the hard even in the hardest parts of our lives that is a hope we can cling to and i i hope and i pray that if i ever encounter someone who has been so harmed as dinah has been harmed that those are the sorts of words of hope that I can speak to someone while just being able to sit with someone else in their heart.
0: Mm -hmm. And of course, we have the advantage of not living only at that time. We don't have to stay in that minute, but we can see the rest of salvation history. We can Mm -hmm. see how the perpetrators were brought to justice by God in Mm -hmm. his time and in his way. And we know that God is A judge as well as merciful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things will come right um, in his time and in his way. So that's kind of the source of our hope, is it not?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we don't necessarily know the end of the story within our own lives, within Dinah's life. We're not limited. God is not limited by the scope of our ability to understand. And I think that's important.
0: Yeah. So as I think about Dinah, I think about Priscilla, women who are voiceless, Priscilla, whom we know very little about, Dinah, who is a tragic victim, but who yet is loved. I want to ask those others who are listening, you know, do you have a favorite little known woman in the Bible? Who is someone who we don't know much about, but who has spoken to you through her life or through the the little bit that you do know about her, I'll post a question on Instagram for our Instagram community at living the word Bible. And I hope that you will go there and tell us about it. I'd, I'd love to know. Elizabeth, before we go, can you uh, tell me, do you have a favorite passage of scripture that you'd like to share with everybody? Something that we can pray with?
1: Yes, absolutely. My favorite verse that I go to is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20, and we know it as the Great Commission, and it is, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age.'" I love this verse because especially in women's ministry or in small group ministry the question always comes up with well what do we do what do we focus on and through our baptism we are given this charge and it's very it's very clear we are to go number 1 so go whether within your pews or beyond your pews make disciples so teach of all nations baptizing them so bring people to the sacraments in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the triune God, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus gives us this promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, good times, bad times, hard times, certain times, I am with you always. And I, I think if we keep coming back to that, anytime you're trying to brainstorm in a ministry, anytime you're trying to brainstorm In your personal life or in your family, what am I doing in this moment? What does God call me to do? He calls you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. And we can do that. Well, that is
0: so inspiring. And I thank you for, for sharing that with us. I'm going to read the verse again. And if you're listening, you know, maybe close your eyes so that you can really hear and focus on the word being spoken to you, as Elizabeth said. We're not trying to memorize scripture or to analyze it. We want to hear it spoken to our hearts. And this is, of course, Jesus commissioning the disciples after his resurrection. Um, But as Elizabeth explained, there's meaning here for us as well. So as you do listen, consider, you know, what, what might the Lord be calling you to within your general vocation? How are you stirring others up to love and to good works? What charisms have you been gifted with that God might be calling you to share? Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, we're not going to be baptizing people, but perhaps we are bringing them to baptism. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us a share in the work of your Son, for making us bearers of your word to others. And I thank you for that word, for your word, and for the life and the strength that it brings to us, even in those difficult passages where. We can see your character shining through in your love for us. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and to ponder what you say to us in scripture. Give us the grace that we need to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Mary, mother of the word, pray for us. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me today. And before you go, where can we reach you? Where can we find out more about your books and your ministry, Joyful Momentum?
1: Sure. I am on Instagram as at Elizabeth Ann Tomlin. That's my name, at Joyful Momentum. And then on Facebook, I facilitate a Facebook group called Joyful Momentum that shares scripture, prayer requests. We're just finishing Lent as we record. And I I hosted a weekly Bible study on Zoom through that group. So that's a great place to connect. But Joyful Momentum is the handle everywhere. So joyfulmomentum.org is the website too.
0: Wonderful. Well, we will put those links in the, the notes on the page for this episode. And once again, thank you. And God bless you, Elizabeth, in all of your ministry. Thank you, Sarah. Likewise. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you will join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And you can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. If you'd like to get a copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, it's available to you now for the special price of $59.95 and free shipping. Just go to theavemariapress.com and use the promo code BIBLEPODCAST, all one word. The offer expires at the end of the year. May God richly bless you as you read His Word. This podcast is part of the
1: Spokestreet Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.